Support for Pivot comes from BetterHelp. How do you know when your social battery is running on empty? Maybe you get a little snippy with your friends or perhaps Scott Galloway. Or maybe you just fantasize about canceling plans, creating one excuse after. You're fantasizing about me? No, 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 never. You're fantasizing about me. Again? Again? Not once. Not once. I get it. I get it. I get it. I'm sorry. Go ahead. All right. Get off my ad right now. All right. Canceling plans, creating one excuse after another, why you have to stay in. I do that to Scott all the time. It's not easy to keep track of how much socializing is right for you. Therapy can help you build more awareness of what you need and when. BetterHelp offers affordable online therapy with licensed professionals. Scheduling is convenient and finding a therapist suited to your style is quick and easy. And we all know Scott Galloway needs therapy. Find your social sweet spot with BetterHelp. You can visit betterhelp.com slash pivot today. Get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash pivot. Hi, everyone. This is Pivot from the Vox Media Podcast Network. I'm Kara Swisher. And I'm Scott Galloway. How you doing, Scott? This is a busy day. It's move day for Kara Swisher. It's move day. Where are you moving? I'm I'm getting, we're buying a new house, but it's very complicated because I have Low some, interest I, rates. You <laughs> just outbid several middle-class families. You, you, you just <laughs> stole, a- pulled the rug out. You went in and <laughs> bid. You said, I, I'm not only going to overbid by $50,000. I'm offering 10 Doja coin and 100 shares of stock in the Vox Media Group. <laughs> no, I actually said Scott Galloway will pay for it. That's how I did it. And they, they said, Scott, is, does he have to come here? I said, no. And then that's how I want it. Anyway, uh, I'm moving studios et cetera, et cetera, because of our burgeoning of piv- uh, pivot empire. Um, and so this is the day I'm doing it. It's really, I hate moving, Scott. I hate moving. That's why I most people home. love it. Yeah. Most people love to move. <laughs> love to move. Honestly, I'm kind of a maximalist in my life, but on days like this, I turn into like Marie Kondo, like everything must go. And anyway, whatever. Well, you know what I use for moving that helps what? a lot? Movers. Money. Yeah, I know. I'm I having just them leave. come too. I just leave and I say, okay, can you make sure the change is in the same place in the new house? <laughs> that's well, right. I'm having movers, but I like to, I, I'm very particular about my things. In any that's case, a shocker that you're case, particular. Who would have guessed listen, that? Listen, Who would have guessed? I, I thought you were particular. so laid back and easygoing. <laughs> no. No speaking, problem. Speaking of particular, the, okay, the, the particular person who's just uh, announced the chairman of the federal uh, chairperson of the Elegant Federal segue. Trade Commission. Elegante anyway, segue. Trying, well played. Well, well played, she's madame. she's very exacting. She's also very exacting. Lena Khan has been uh, was surprised that she was made the chair. I thought she was just going to be made the commissioner, yeah, as did many shock. people. Uh, prior to because she's 32 years old, the chair of the FTC. She was associate professor of law at Columbia Law School and previously served as counsel to the U.S. House Judiciary Committee Subcommittee on Antitrust, Commercial, and Administrative Law. I just she was the one behind those David Cicilline hearings, and I actually just interviewed mm-hmm. David uh, today, Representative Cicilline, um, who with Ken Buck is announcing all kinds of this and that against the tech industry with all these uh, legislation finally um but uh but th- she, what do you think of this she's she's kind of a she's she made her bones writing this amazing essay on amazon and how it should be broken up and here she is uh not 10 years later well, I think it's inspiring. I think the government on a regular basis takes incredibly young, incredibly talented people and throws them in the deep end. And I think we've been better off as a nation when we, you know, whether it was, I don't know, uh, uh, there, there's a ton. There's just throughout history, we have taken incredible people and said, all right, distinct of your age, we're going to give you an incredible opportunity here. And I just love the fact that a London-born woman of Pakistani descent mm-hmm. at the age of 32 yeah. is now riding, she's not only riding shotgun with Bezos on, you know, there's a, he might stay in well, space having not riding heard this shotgun, news. she's opposite him, right? She's well, not on his you, team. You know what I mean. Yeah, right. Okay, you know, that's not you the You take metaphor. my meaning. Riding shotgun is what you're doing with me, Sometimes. That's what I'm doing. Yeah, yeah. That's next what I'm doing. I, I'm not going to go through cowboy metaphors with you. Nonetheless, let's say she is his is his nemesis now. She he's got a worthy nemesis. Uh, so, although she probably doesn't see it that way. But he and does. also, people complain that Amazon doesn't advance careers as fast as it should. It absolutely yeah. advanced the career of Lena Khan. Yeah, I mean her. <laughs> her she basically looked at Amazon and said, "Okay, this is the definition of uh, monopoly behavior." And yeah. her. Her her uh, piece on Amazon's antitrust paradox was literally her, you know, catcher in the rye, whatever you want to call it. It, yeah. it took her from obscurity 
and created momentum that's landed her as the chair of the FTC. She's known for being very hardworking, mm-hmm. um, obviously very smart. And yeah. I think it's nice. Look, it's just inspiring when uh, talent, talent and a little bit of luck result in people getting to extraordinary places. I think it yep. serves as a very beacon of light so. and hope for a lot of she's, um, you know, people. She's got a lot ahead of her. I mean, obviously, she's got a thousand people that she gets to direct. The chairman has enormous amounts of power in the FTC, even though there's other, she's got to convince other commissioners. There's, I think, five in total. Yeah, five in total, two Democrats, two Republicans in the chair, who is typically whoever the president is, the party of the president. And so she has to convince the other two Democratic ones, I guess, or any of the Republican ones to go along with what she wants to do. But it, she has enormous sway because she can direct the investigation. She can direct the staff. Um, and so it's a really, you know, she, it's a huge job for her to run a federal agency um, like this. And, yeah. you know, this is about to get more funding uh, and That's everything right. else. And so in you know, one of these bills that David Cicilline and Ken Buck are working on, and it was interesting because they have various people, uh, you know, attached to each of the bills and they're all, each of them are different, um, including Matt Gates is attached to one, if you can believe it. Um, and and, and several others. Um, and so it's a it's a really interesting time. She's in a real position of power. And again, I would urge people to go back and l- read that uh, piece that she did about Amazon. Uh, she also, um, you know, one of the things that's interesting about her is that she's sort of sh- trying to shift. And this is the next legislation coming, which is a wholesale redo of the um, of the antitrust acts, which has gotten a Borkian feel uh, after Bork uh, had made arguments about how it uh, how it should be. Uh, it's all it's legalese, but essentially it changed in terms of favoring companies um, via some theories that Robert Bork had in the Chicago school. And so she's shifting that and probably will be part of that legislation to shift it um, back to sort of the Sherman Antitrust Act or, for, or, or an antitrust law that's for the new day, essentially, which it, it hasn't changed in a long, 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 long time. Um, and everything else has. So it's a really interesting time. The gating factor on her work won't be her colleagues or fellow commissioners or even um, other lawmakers. It'll be judges. And yeah. what people don't yes. realize is the 100 percent. The real impact or the enduring impact of any administration is the lawyers that are appointed for life. Mm-hmm. And I think I think she will absolutely file suit. She will block mergers. She will file antitrust action. And I think there'll be support in the House and the Senate. I think she'll mm-hmm. convince two commissioners to go along with them. And I, I bet a lot of it is overturning courts. Yeah, that's the, the Supreme Court just overturned something the FTC did around the company. So, yeah, I mean, that's where the conservative courts are going to be her nemesi. Nemesi. Nemesis. Ooh, nemesi, I like that. Nemesi. And not only that, uh, she's married to a cardiologist. I like to mm. think of all the pressure those kids are going to have on them. <laughs> <laughs> Why can't you be more like your father or your mother? <laughs> I mean, talk about growing up in a household where it's easy to be an underachiever. Right. Yeah. Anyway, she. I wish her well. I did a really good interview with her on Sway, and uh, maybe we'll get her to come on here. Um, I may have to invite her to code. I was thinking of pairing her with Mar- Marguerite de Vestager, who's coming. The oh, two of them. Gangster be, one and gangster would two. That be, would that be something? They got to work together, too. That's by the Tony way. and Soprano on I stage. Know, I know. I'm thinking, what do you think? I think that's like... God, it would scare the shit out of the audience, which uh, I kind need, of would like to do. You need a moderator. You yeah. need a. You need some sort of abusive monopolist to moderate the conversation. Uh, have Bezos bring in, right in the middle. Bring in Rupert Murdoch or uh, yeah. I don't know. How about a Bezos in the middle and they just take shots at him because he's like fit, right? They could have like a kind of thing. I like going it. On. I think right. they. I think they shoot up his ass with Andro and they say, <laughs> "Okay, live on TV, and we're auctioning it off, you motherfucker. Let's see if we can get twenty nine million. And then he goes into space. Oh, he'll be That's back right. from space by then. I he'll don't be know. back from, allegedly. We'll, we'll be see. back. We'll see. All right. He'll be back. He'll be back. All right. So the other thing is President Biden and Vladimir Putin met in person during a historic summit in Geneva, Switzerland on Wednesday. Um, Biden brought up concerns over human rights and cyber attacks. Um, you know, he was a little firmer than President Trump has been. Uh, not a lot of licking up and down, but somewhat mm-hmm. cooperative. I don't know, of course, what went on behind the scenes. Um, but that was that was an interesting thing. We'll see where Putin lands on all his cyber attack activity that he uh, that came to uh, the fore during the Trump administration. This was, uh, you know, it's, uh, I followed this closely. I'm just interesting looking at this uh, in terms of the, the moves and you know mm-hmm. strategy between a long term player and a short term player that, you know, no one is there for longer than four or eight years as U.S. president. Yeah. And Typically, a president, shocker, has an enormous ego. And if you look back across all the presidents that have dealt with Putin, and I think it's like five of them now, 
They all are kind of have a little bit of megalomaniacal view that I'm going to fix our relationship with Russia. Right. That he'll see I'm tough, but a good yeah. guy. Yeah. I'm going to come in. And he, really, Biden's the first president to say, OK, I'm not going to do what Obama did and not give him audience. And I do right. think that you reduce the likelihood of things escalating when you've met. Yeah. There's an instinct where you go, hey, there's a submarine off the coast of Irkutsk and we're about to go gangster. Well, why don't I just call him first and make sure that I, I don't misunderstand. There's there's a value, I think, to open engagement. But at the same time, you know, he didn't say, well, let's let's try and do this and announce it. I looked into his eyes and I, I trusted him. And keep in mind, Russia's strategy, Russia's GDP is in between South Korea and Canada. Someone once described Russia as upper Volta with nuclear weapons. Um, are they moving while you're doing this? I no, hear shit on. in the background. I know. We're going to let her do this. She's going to grab it really quickly. Hold on. This is our baby. I'm glad to see you're taking our, you're prioritizing <laughs> our show. Listen, I have a very complex life, Scott Galloway. I don't know what to tell you. I have very many children's. We have people and I got things. I got things you to got do. Stuff. She's going to be. No one's allowed to touch my shit. <laughs> All right. She's trying. She's moving as fast as she can. You know, just let's just tape. You know what? I have a life. People can understand you have that. two boys. Why do you need movers? I, I, that's and right. Mine, because my one son, boys. as I've said, is a butcher and the other one is hiking in the adirondacks so there you have it. that's what you have that's Ooh, what you talk have. about you and your white privilege anyways um <laughs> i hope we're recording in the adirondacks is good he's camping we i do it's camping that's you mean good glamping? no he's not glamping there's no yeah. glamping going on with the some swishers. 19 no. year old is cooking top no. ramen and no 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 he's doing no. really well my other son is working all summer he's, he's a, a butcher, he got a tattoo like yesterday i shouldn't say this but he got a giant tattoo in new york yesterday well, which you I'm, say that like it's, it's a good thing I yeah, think it's a, a beautiful great tattoo. I'm not discussing this with you. Listen, we're moving on Jesus to something. Christ. Go ahead, finish with Putin. I bet Putin Jesus has a Christ. tattoo. Finish well, up. Look, <laughs> look it, it, this country, in terms of economic power, is somewhere between South Korea and Canada. That The GDP mm -hmm. is smaller than Canada, yes. but bigger than, a than South Korea. A glorified gas station run by, I think that's what you said, a glorified then, gas station run by the mob. So it is in Putin's best interest strategically to be, quite frankly, disruptive and cause problems. And mm -hmm. just as any nation strategically is well served by pursuing a nuclear weapon, because then someone in the West shows up and says, we'll give you billions of dollars to just stop doing this. Mm -hmm. Kind of Putin's only, you know, only playbook here is to be uh, disruptive. Trouble. So, I mean, this is Bad a guy trouble. who's supported Assad, has incurred Western countries to kill people. Um, has seized or annexed uh, Crimea. I mean, this is this is uh, a real uh, nemesis or a real menace globally. Mm -hmm. And if, mm -hmm. if you look at flashpoints of instability around the world, there's like a 50% chance it involves it involves Putin. So right. I think they handled this just right. I think they showed up and said, okay, you have a direct dialogue, but be clear, we're not here to try and show some goodwill such that you can take advantage of that goodwill and then find out we were wrong to ever believe we should extend you any goodwill. Uh, the cyber stuff is really, I think, is the biggest issue, actually, that it's state-sponsored cyber terrorism, and uh, yeah. we have to what figure out a way. What's he going to do about that? What's he going to do about that? Well, I would bet, I would bet, I think people underestimate the power of um, our NSA and our security services and our cyber, whatever you call it, our cyber our cyber force or space force, I would bet that slowly but surely we've made it pretty clear that the, the, the quo per quid here is going to be pretty ugly if you keep doing this. And the fact that we were able to track down uh, and, and reclaim the, the payment for dark web, I got to think that we're going to start in a very tactful, uh, elegant and planned out way, start switching, you know, turning off the light switch around certain things in Russia. I just you, I have what? to attack them, attack them. Oh, uh, U.S. Cyber Command, by the way. It's 100 U.S. Cyber Command. I think we oh, will pick, if we haven't already, I think we will pick facilities and infrastructure and turn it off and say, by the way, that was us. And it's going to get worse if you don't put an end to this shit. And this whole, we don't know what's going on, just doesn't work. Um, I, I just have a lot of faith in our government to be uh, both responsive, creative, and professional at this stuff, especially this government. So uh, I, I actually think cyber terrorism is going to get better, not worse. Well, I don't have, know. We have a, we have a broad attack scheme. Look at all the attacks that have happened. Oh, you mean in terms of your point is the landmass is just so huge. I think that one of the things that they're saying is the attack space is so vast here and we're so interconnected in the way we conduct our, our digital stuff. You know, we have so many lines of attack for someone like Putin, a thug like Putin to come in. So I think it's just we have to just You show described it as our landmass is so big, which I thought was an it, interesting analogy. 
Well, not our, our surface area. They surface say our area, sur- atta- yeah, surface area of attack attack better. is large. And that's they better. don't have as much to attack, but we can certainly. Uh, we can certainly do a lot of things and there's sanctions, et cetera, et cetera. And, and so this is, this is the Cold War was lost by Russia. They're winning this particular war, um, or has, have more opportunity for advantage. But you're right. They're not a big country. They're not a, they're but you know a, who we go after when we try Chinese. and hit them hard? Well, <laughs> when we try and hit Russia hard, we go after the oligarchs. We start. We start fucking with the economic. We start fucking with the wealth of the 50 wealthiest people in Russia who are all there because of Putin and have some influence back and forth. Uh, so I, my guess is we make life uncomfortable for, for his buddies. And the way you do that is you go after their pocketbook. Uh, anyways, but who knows? We'll see. I, I'm, I'm excited that yeah. I thought they handled it. I thought he handled it yeah, I thought as it well good. as he could have. He got a little testy at a reporter who misasked him a question. I have to say... Good for him. Good man. He, he apologized too. It was good. So last thing, very quickly, we got to get to our big stories. Apple officially launched a subscription service, uh, allowing users to pay for ad-free episodes and exclusive content. Meanwhile, Spotify signed another deal with one of the most downloaded podcasts, Call Her Daddy. It's not, Have you listened to that? I've never listened to it. I haven't. I, it's like Dirty Girls, essentially. Really? The three-year agreement is reportedly worth $60 million, and the show will be exclusive to Spotify beginning uh, July 21st. Spotify has also launched its clubhouse competitor called Green Room. What, what thinks you of this, Scott Galloway? Well, I was excited because, you know, we got 61 million. Oh, wait, 61,000 for four years. Never mind. Um, what, you want me to talk dirty about my whatever? I'm not even going to go no there. No one wants to. You do talk dirty. It I do, and it doesn't work. Many, it, but doesn't it doesn't work land. as much as call your it daddy. It doesn't land. It doesn't land. Yeah, no anyway. one wants to hear a 56-year-old man with erectile dysfunction talk dirty. Okay. Um, All right. Moving along, what do you think? Spotify's really doubling down. Well, look, the, one of the strategies here is to go vertical, whether it's Facebook trying to go vertical into VR so they control the experience, whether it's Apple going into stores, whether it's Netflix and House of Cards, Spotify with Joe Rogan. They either got to they either got to uh, forward integrate into um, hardware or forward integrate into content. And they've decided that podcasting is I mean, we, we predicted this last year. Podcasts yeah. are going to go for an irrational amount of money as a multiple of revenues because there's an NPS arbitrage and then attention yeah. arbitrage. And that is if I can get a high income young person and a lot of them listen to podcasts, if I can get 60 minutes of their attention graph or yeah. 120 minutes a week, that's worth a lot. And also, it's one of the few mediums where people are actually listening to advertising. And the notion is every medium has eventually gone, or at least component of it, or valuation-sensitive component of it, goes to subscription. And the thing about Apple that's just so powerful is that if you want to subscribe to a podcast, and they're talking about prices as low as 45 cents, their payment solution is just so elegant. It's like double-click here. As opposed to if you go to Spotify and try and get a subscription with the exact same content, the exact same podcast, it takes you to a... That's right. Friction. It takes you, it, you. They don't own the rails. It, you have to go to a site outside of the app. Yes, it's you very do. cumbersome. Whereas that's Apple's what, like that's what these that's what these lawsuits are about. In that's the, right. Owning own the rails system. is a wonderful place yeah. to be. Yeah. The thing that gives you pause around this, and we have been hugely affected by this, mm-hmm. is I'm obsessed. I'm I, I have a desperate need for affirmation, and I check our rankings every week yeah, to see what our listenership's do. like. And all of a sudden, about two weeks ago. Our mm-hmm. listenership fell off a cliff. Mm-hmm. I'm like, well, what the fuck is going on here? And I found yeah. out that we were not. I was getting a bunch of emails saying, you're not in the app store. You, you didn't come up on Apple. And, yeah. and I went there, and they were right. And immediately I got mad at Vox. I'm like, mm-hmm. what's going on here? You guys don't get the easy stuff right. And the reality right. is it wasn't them. It was Apple. And something about them updating updating uh uh, iTunes or the App Store yeah. to to I think provide this ability to subscribe uh, subscribe has monkeyed with the ability to um, upload content. So they're not off to they're not off to a good start. And keep yeah. in mind, Apple Apple says, all right, and th- and this is the scary part is we're ad supported right now. Mm-hmm. And so Apple is going to start deprioritizing us because they don't make any revenue from us. They right. use podcasts such as ours to gain traction, to gain gain credibility. But slowly but surely, they're going to want to prioritize uh, podcasts yes, where they can take thirty oh percent the first year. Do we have to sell to one of these people? Honestly, oh, well, we did sell to one of them. Yeah, it's I know. But Vox. Vox will probably sell us off to one. We're whores. We're just dumb whores. We're just <laughs> having sex with a guy with not as much money. <laughs> Let's be honest. If we were going to sell, oh, if we were going to sell our dignity, we should have done it to a John that was richer. Okay, all right. Okay, enough with the that that. What's worse thing. than being a whore, way, a dumb whore? <laughs> okay, all right. And Scott is now canceled. All right. Spotify also launched its clubhouse competitor, Green Room. 
Um, and which is interesting. That's another company that's getting sort of aced out by all these people. You know, we obviously have uh, Twitter spaces, which I use, and Spotify is doing this uh, competitor. And uh, the Spotify artists will probably do it there versus Clubhouse. Why start a new interest graph there if your music is there and you can click into it and this and that? So it's a really, you know, everyone's disrupting everyone else, but the bigs and those who have the control uh, certainly and uh, certainly have more control than we do. Can we officially, so I just want to take a victory lap. We were the original haters around Clubhouse. Yeah, we were. Refused to go <laughs> on. And I want to officially say Clubhouse is dead. And oh, I think okay. we should start talk, stop talking about it. All right, let's. It, it, it's it, still, the, the concept is a useful one. I, we had a thousand, 13, 1,400 people last night listening to Jody Cantor talk about the very next story. So it's a useful feature for sure. It's just that it's not a separate well, company. But that's exactly the right yes. word. It's a yes. feature, not a product. It's not, or just it's, a, not a, a, it's not just a feature. It's a great feature. Okay. It's a great feature, which a million other people with built-in built in user bases have flipped on. Yeah. And yep. it also, I think, got a bad brand right out of the gates. Yeah. Uh, yelling at your tech journalists. All right. Speaking of which, let's talk about that. I agree. So Club, we have declared Clubhouse dead, although we like the, the we like the technology. Well, I love this. You realize just, I think it was just three or six months ago, Clubhouse was valued at four and a half billion dollars. It'd be it very was. interesting to see what their next round has done. Yeah. At. Yeah. That'll be interesting. They'll, they'll fob themselves onto someone and pretend and take a victory lap. That's what they'll do. Um, that's what, that's what, uh, but do you, do you ever, I mean, I remember does. literally 60, 90 days ago, maybe it was more yeah. than that. You heard, you just heard a ton about Clubhouse. I get emails every day. You should really yeah. come on Clubhouse. Yeah, da, da, da. Yeah, I be never a, hear about it anymore. Yep, that's why, because it was very pandemically prompted. In any case, oh. let's move on to that. We're going to talk about Andreessen Horowitz, which is one of the best. Pandemically prompted. Prompted. Pandemically prompted. Have you been drinking again? Have you been <laughs> I drinking wish, again? I wish. All right. But first of all, we're going to move on to big stories because I did have Jody Cantor talk about her story and also, also Jason Del Rey. The New York Times story released an investigation of how the pandemic exposed the pitfalls of Amazon's employment system, specifically at its fulfillment center in New York City. It's JFK 8, I think it's called. Mm -hmm. Reporters interviewed uh, nearly 200 current and former employees and reviewed company documents, legal filings, government records. Here's some highlights throughout the pandemic. Amazon meticulously tracked its workers, not a surprise, did not disclose information about COVID-19 outbreaks in the warehouse and relied on a buggy system that led to unintentional firings and benefit losses. These poor working conditions led to failed unionization attempt we saw earlier uh, this year in Bessemer, uh, Alabama, which in which Amazon was victorious. Workers also expressed frustration over the little opportunity for advancement, which you just talked about within the company. You just push buttons there, essentially, and they, they have it down to a science and the use of technology to hire, monitor, manage workers. Meanwhile, Mackenzie Scott, Jeff Bezos' ex-wife, who married the science teacher now, announced she had donated uh, $2.7 billion to 286 organizations, part of a, a year effort where she's given, I think, almost $8 billion. It's her third round with no strings attached donations, and she wrote in her blog post, that these donations are an attempt to, quote, give away a fortune that was enabled by systems in need of change. Feels like they're talking to each other over, over in a weird way, having a little bit back and forth. But she's taking his money, which keeps getting bigger because Amazon's doing so well mm -hmm. and keeps giving it away to stop him. So anyway, what do you think? Well, as your ex-wife reminded me, it's not his money, it's her money. And she doesn't get the credit she deserves as a co-founder, which I actually agree, <laughs> agree. with. Yeah. Um, look, uh, it's just so interesting to contrast the two, right? Basically, Bezos has shown up to the kind of those stupid auctions they have at a high school and said, come ride in my yellow canary Ferrari because I'm awesome and I'm famous. And he does a bid and everyone goes, oh, Jeff, you're so successful and you're so interesting. And I want to participate in the mother of all midlife crises. Okay. And he says, OK, I'm going to give the $28 million to charity so you can come into space with me as I try and, yeah. I don't know, as I feel my prostate getting bigger and bigger and realize I can't buy life and I need to start lashing out with this stupid <laughs> ego-driven shit. And what does she do? She takes a hundred <laughs> times that yeah, and gives it to things like uh, legal efforts to protect- This is just this time. It's just this time. And, this is and, the third round. And, and, just this time and gives it to- fantastic people fighting for LGBT, LGBTQ rights. I mean, mm -hmm. there is one type of faux, come watch me get my hair plugs philanthropy, yeah. and there is real giving. I, mm -hmm. think, I think this individual, I think Mackenzie Scott is literally 
one of the most inspiring people of, of the last decade. I think she's a yeah. tremendous role model. And not only that, should she should she diverse? Should she get out of Amazon stock? It's it's gone up so much that she can't give it away fast enough. She's gotten more money. Like for example, Jeff Bezos has gone. His wealth has increased from 110 billion to more than 190 billion during the pandemic. She's gone from 34 to 60. She can't give it away fast enough. So should she should she uh, get rid of the Amazon stock? So she so, you know it was sort of like the Rockefellers that did the anti the environmental stuff later or whatever. Should she, some people think she should just get out of all of Amazon stock, but it's providing her with the cash needed to fight Amazon or give groups that fight Amazon. It's really interesting. So in general, you want to, your Kevlar as you get older is diversification. Mm -hmm. And that yeah. is you don't want to have more than 20% or 30% in any one asset Well, this class. is a moral thing, but go ahead. Yeah. Well, beyond the morals, uh, she absolutely should not sell. What she should do is um, give the stock away pre-tax or borrow against that stock. Because when you're talking about Amazon, mm -hmm. I mean, you're just talking about uh, any stock can go down. And Amazon has actually had years where it's underperformed. Yeah. But um, no, if she sell, if she were to sell the stock to diversify, all she would be doing is giving up, uh, paying tax, incurring an, yeah. a, a tax a tax triggering event, and have less money. Uh, to give away. Uh, so, so she should uh, give away stock and let them decide what to 100%. do with it. So, yeah. There you go. Yeah, it's interesting because a lot of people feel she shouldn't. I kind of like the whole thing. I like, you know what I mean? Like a lot of people were giving Roger McNamee a hard time. He's like, you made money on Facebook and now you're attacking, using your money you made there to attack them. So it's kind of interesting. It's an interesting dilemma. I don't really care, honestly. Give away the money, Mackenzie. Go well, for it. it. I mean, it could be worse. You could be on the faculty of an institution right. and accuse them of being morally corrupt and continuing to work there. But, yeah. Um, <laughs> do as I say, not as I do. Do as I say, Kara. Do as I say. All right. But but, but this, these working conditions are really, it was interesting because I thought the piece was rather fair. Also, you know, a lot of people like working there. They like the health benefits. They like the regularity. They like, they, they, a lot of the workers, I talk, Jody said last night, also express that they that it's a better place than restaurants or fast food places which is like a totally low bar right so mm -hmm. it seems to me that if you're doing these tech things being just better than restaurants and stuff is not good enough if you're wanting to change the world then change because the last thing jeff bezos said when he's leaving in his last letter we want to be the best employer on the planet well he's got he, on his way out he says this after exploiting people, both his executives and these workers. And so, um, you know, I'm not screaming. It's not exploitation in the way, you know, diamond mines are, but it's still, be, I hate to quote uh, Melania Trump, but be better. Like, why isn't tech, why aren't tech employers better You're than what previously? Melania Trump. I did, but it just, that's who said it. That's who said mm. it, be better, be better. But, you know, they could do they could do better. They could be, they could try harder and, and be better as employers. All of these tech companies, instead of saying we're slightly better than what came before us. Cause it's just to me like a, a meat factory or a restaurant, you know, with a gropey manager or shitty, um, shitty working conditions. Mm -hmm. Well, I want to acknowledge as you get older, you realize how important regularity is. <laughs> um, <laughs> No, but here's the thing, Kara. Well, I'm being is serious. Is it going to change? Is it going to change? Bezos said that's what he wanted for the company. He's still a big part of it, Here, but he didn't do anything previously. Here's the thing. Okay. Uh, no one cares, or the people who matter don't care, because the <laughs> general perception of the U.S. public, incorrectly or correctly, mm -hmm. is that Amazon pays well. Yeah, it's hard work. Yeah, they may monitor you, but they pay 16 bucks an hour plus healthcare, and and uh, a bunch of individuals at a plant were given a choice to unionize or stick with Amazon, and two to one, they voted to stick with Amazon. Yeah. And this goes to one, uh, the same place, and that is the best enemy you can have is an incompetent, feeble enemy. And the middle yeah. class has had, or uh, corporations have had the mother of all incompetent, feeble en enemies in the form the of unions. unions. So maybe unions aren't the answer, like, because in this case. percent. You know who the answer is? And I apologize, I'm interrupting. Right. Lena Khan is the answer. Because uh -huh. if Lena Khan breaks up monopolies, there will be more organizations bidding for human capital and it'll bring wages up. In, uh -huh. in the 40 largest economies, if you look at union membership, it's declined by 30 to 60% yeah. over the last several decades. Unions have been a total They're failure. You know, They're ineffective. One of the things, the let me just say, needs I'm going to interrupt union. you now. Jody Go said ahead. that one of the, the turnover rate at Amazon, they hired 500,000 people during the pandemic. They're on the on the way to becoming the, war, the, the, the country's largest employer, Walmart, right now is. There are two things. One, she said that they have 150% turnover. 
Think about that. They want, and in fact, Jeff Bezos wants that. He wants, he doesn't, he thinks people get lazy over time. And the second thing is they don't have uh, an opportunity to advance from the warehouse as opposed to Walmart, where the CEO was like in the grocery section. He was unloading. And so Walmart is completely opposite. People have this upward trajectory there as you do better. And in, in Amazon, they kind of want you to leave. They, they, he, he, he likened it to being in the Marines. You get trained and then you go, but it's even faster than that. And the, the one thing they did is this no lights off hiring or something like that, or I forget what it's called, but they essentially don't do any checking. And then just the, they just want to see raw talent, which is another thing. But is, is that, that a bad thing? Kooky, that that's bad not necessarily, thing? but the turnover rate is, it means they think they're them as fodder. They're just fodder. So I, I know a guy, I know a yeah. guy who, no. who struggled with addiction his entire life. Mm-hmm. And he moved to Florida, I mean, really struggled, in and out mm-hmm. of rehab, never been able to really hold on to anything, attached mm-hmm. to anything in his life. And he got a job at an Amazon fulfillment center. And their attitude is, uh, we'll hire you and then we'll track you. And uh, also, he ended up leaving six or seven months later. He wasn't fired. Yeah. He was doing really well. He yeah. ended up leaving because, as you can imagine, he doesn't have... Uh, making a stereotype about people who are struggling with addiction, but he doesn't have a great judgment. And mm-hmm. my attitude is, I like the fact that Amazon brings a lot of people in and kind of says sink or swim. And I don't, I, I, I don't, that's not to say that OSHA and people shouldn't be looking at it. And I'm no fan of Amazon, but I like an organization that is hiring okay. like crazy. I don't, I'm not sure I buy that there is an opportunity for people who prove themselves. And the thing I like about Amazon that I hate about corporate well, there America is, none. There is, none. They, is they there's kinda- a, is there's a fetishization of people with bachelor's degrees. And and this is a part of the economy you can enter into without a bachelor's degree. I can't well, believe yes, I'm protecting but you can't Amazon. Go, I, you can't go any further. You can push is buttons. That and eventually, yes, is that, that true? Is, you can't, that's the whole point. It's like well, there was one spot to go up and 700 people applied. Like they just don't have a path at all, which is interesting. Okay, you know that going there. Um, and the other thing is, I, I think, know you know, right now, so much human sweat to run this company. It's crazy how, much pe- how many yeah. people they need. So they don't really want them to move beyond their class where they are. And so once they get automation in there as much as they can, including picking and packing, I think they'll just replace them. One of the things Jody said, this is the last thing, is they're very protected right now politically because they they have so many employees. If they had more automation, and she is the one that originally wrote the how tough Amazon is on their executive team. If you remember that one a couple of years ago, it's like pregnant, too bad. Even, you know, person with a college degree. Um, And so if they could replace people, they probably would. At the same time, they're very protected by the employee base by having it. It's just bad. It was fascinating. Piece. Yeah, look, I, I've always believed that capitalism gives companies the right to fire so they can hire. And I think this is an example of that. What I do think we need is, uh, and I'm going to start virtue signaling here, mm-hmm. but I love the term fiduciary. And when you mm-hmm. go on a board, you need to decide, I think, which stakeholder you're a fiduciary for. Mm-hmm. And most people mm-hmm. on a board immediately have this knee-jerk reaction of, I'm here to represent shareholders. Right. And shareholders are overrepresented on boards. And I've, I, I, I used to say, I'm here, and whenever I went on a board, I would state this, I'm here to represent management. I've been management. The board mm-hmm. is very good at showing up and heckling from the cheap seats, especially to, if it has VCs or hedge funds on the board, and providing a lot of advice. You know, the, the people on the board are typically oftentimes, especially the people who, uh, investors, are the smartest people you've ever met who don't know a fucking thing about the actual business. <laughs> and I've decided over the last... Three years, I'm now a fiduciary for frontline workers because mm-hmm. guess what? They have no representation. Except you just totally said you like the Amazon system. They're not. I mean, I 16, guess if you know going hold on, in, okay, sixteen okay. bucks an hour plus healthcare. Yeah. Day one. Yeah, but, but but read this piece because let me just tell you, they, they get fired by accident because the systems, you know, you know how perfect Amazon is on logistics, getting a package to you. And if you, they make, they never make mistakes. They make a lot of mistakes with their workforce. It's, it's just interesting. Do you People know, what, got, I would bet, saying, I would bet system. somewhere between 10 and 30% of the American workforce mm-hmm. after working somewhere for a year or two years in frontline yeah. work makes less than you do on day one at Amazon. No, possible. Anyway, it's an interesting story. I urge people to read it. We'll see what happens here. I think they are protected by their workers. I think they you still rely the, on the sweat. The what, strongest union representative in the world right now what? is Lena Khan. Lena Khan. All right. If Lena Khan's going to solve everything. Well, no, She's but if we have everything, if we have more, if we have right now, we have fifty cents on the digital dollar, uh, e-commerce dollar going to Amazon, and so the bottom yes. line is. 
there's one place to make 16 bucks an hour in Bessemer. If there were two places, slowly but surely, people would be making 18 bucks an hour. So the yes, best union but... in the world right now is the FTC and the DOJ. Because guess what? Traditional unions, they yeah. haven't worked. Well, you look like whack a union every, every five minutes. You do. I'm just saying they could work. Like, how do... I'm a member of a union. Uh, uh, okay, I'm not, uh, fascinatingly. Um, and so one of the things that's really interesting was how some of the ideas that Jeff had around um, workers being lazy. I thought that was, it was kind of scary a little bit, Even honestly. if he thinks that, he shouldn't say it. But look, yeah. we're seeing a lot about this guy's character. Right. Wouldn't you love right. to ride shotgun with me in my yellow canary Ferrari <laughs> on my way to get my vasectomy and hair plugs? That is how he decides to approach philanthropy. Hair plugs. Did he get a hair plug? No. He doesn't, doesn't have hair plugs like yet. He doesn't have hair um, plugs. It's just, it, you know, the human resources, once again, is a very, um, is a very weak area. You know what I mean? And one of the things that the last thing that Jason pointed out, Jason Del Rey, was mm -hmm. this is a comp, this was, he said in his last letter, Bezos said, we have always wanted to be the Earth's most customer-centric company. It has accomplished that at the expense of everybody, right? Expense of every, the Earth, the employees, everybody. And now he added, we're going to be the Earth's best employer and Earth's safest place to work. So that, you know, I think this this customer-centricness of, of Jeff Bezos sort of has, 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 has everybody pays for that particular theory of his. Now we'll see if he has the if, if Andy Jassy under his is going to do that. I don't know. We'll see. Um, and listen sorry, one more thing. All right. Amazon's founder didn't want hourly workers to stick around for long viewing a large viewing a quote large disgruntled workforce as a threat. Mr. Newkirk recalled this is someone who was helped him create the system. Company data show that most employees become less eager over time, he said, and Mr. Bezos believed that people were inherently lazy. What he would say is that our nature as humans is to expend as little energy as possible to get what we want or need. The conviction was embedded throughout the business from the ease of instant ordering to the pervasive use of data to get most out of employees. Fascinating. But here, there, there's, a, there's a learning here, okay. and that is okay. since kind of Chainsaw Jack Welch and yeah. uh, oh, yeah, Milton yeah. Friedman, we have, we have this monolithic response that the right business strategy is to focus on one constituency, and that's the consumer. Yeah. And that, uh, at some point, that comes at the expense of your suppliers, your vendors, your employees, the and commonwealth, the, the environment. Earth. And what people need to realize is beyond beyond kind of the the you know liberal you mm -hmm. know wokeness of screaming oh, yeah. for other people. It's a good business strategy mm -hmm. to pick other constituents. Shopify is yeah. not consumer driven. Yeah. Their customer well, and their consumers are their. Then the people they serve, right, but they've right? decided if Amazon's going to be obsessed with the consumer, we're going to be obsessed with the customer, and that is the retailer. Right. Okay. Okay. Uh, Better Mortgage is obsessed with uh, treating their employees well. Their their mortgage consultants make more money, and they're like, if we can attract the best more Goldman Sachs, I think, yeah, is employee driven. They've said yeah. if we can pay our people the most. Will everything also All work right, out? Okay. All right. But, okay. There's what are you obsessed strategies. with, Scott? What is your What is your who, What are you obsessed with, Scott? Uh, right Besides now, me. Yeah. Uh, I, I have 100% adopted the strategy. I've been in services firms my whole life. I started a strategy firm. I've always mm -hmm. been bought into this obsession with the consumer. Yeah. And I have pivoted in the last five years, and I have my core constituent is, is attracting and retaining the most talented colleagues. And everything works out. If you treat them well, if the mm -hmm. best people don't leave, if occasionally you leave some money on the table— if you're ever accused of overpaying people, that's not a bad thing mm -hmm. for society. But if you can attract it, it, the bottom line is if you're a successful entrepreneur, you're going to do just fine. Yeah. And if you can figure out a way to give people the notion that they're going to do really well if you do really well and you're really yeah. focused on them, I'm not saying you're not focused on your end client or your end consumer, but I, I generally believe in an yeah, information economy, okay. the team with the best players wins. And All so right, well, I've been very session. employee driven. I'm obsessed by snacks. You snacks? Know? That's your constituents? Right, we have to move on. Snacks? Yes. No, I'm obsessed by making good stuff. And if I can't, I'm out. That's how I feel. That's, that's yeah, everything. So you're product obsessed. Product obsessed. And I don't care about anything else. I don't. I just, that, that if I had to pick, if I had, to, you know, that game where you have to kill everybody else, pro the quality you're, you're, of the product, which will lead us into our next story. We got to Hold on. I just one. want to identify you. I, I would describe you as a little bit of an individual contributor. Mm -hmm. And I'm more, I'm more an I, a person that uh, my attitude is my job is to attract really talented people and the product just gets better. And I, see. Uh, and I think there's, I think there's a strategy around both. 
Yeah, yeah. All right. So we know what we're obsessed with snacks and products and people. Schnock, schnocks. All right, Scott, we're going to have a quick break. We talked a lot. Come back to talk about Andreessen Horowitz's new content site. Apparently, they're getting into our up in our grill and a listener mail question. Support for this podcast comes from Constant Contact. If you're a business owner, you already know that it's really, really hard to cut through the noise of everyday life. If you want to connect with your customers, you need to break through the noise. You need Constant Contact. Constant Contact is a marketing platform that makes it easy to reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and connect over email, text, social media, and more. Whether you're a marketing guru or just learning the ropes, Constant Contact offers writing assistance tools and automation features that make it simple to say the right thing at the right time. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Okay, welcome back. Venture capital firm Andreessen Horowitz is launching a content site called I Cannot Believe This Future. Honestly, they've already failed. They've already failed, by the way. I love when VCs get into my my beeswax. I don't get into their beeswax. In any case, whatever. They could do whatever they want. But let me just tell you, media is hard, Mark. Media is hard. Future will be a space for what the firm is calling optimistic view of technology. Rational optimism. According to TechCrunch, the firm says future.com, which they got the URL, which means they already are out of business. But money doesn't matter here. It's not a news site, but instead will focus on future-focused informational and editorial content rather than daily tech news. Future.com's pitch guideline states, we are pro-tech, pro-future, pro-change, and we are uh, also informed optimists, not free-willing futurists making predictions without any skin in the game. Oh, God, I, I hate them already. The site will also feature Andreessen Horowitz's podcast, Clubhouse Rooms, and eventually, Clubhouse Rooms, and eventually video. What? I can't wait to see their piece on that one, you know, which will be interesting. I'm excited for their piece on Facebook, uh, stuff like that. And so but they've hired some big names, and they've got uh, someone who's a pretty decent editor uh, running it. But the whole tone was, again, as they did on Clubhouse, bash the tech press, which is just ridiculous. It's just, it makes, it just furiates me. But whatever, whatever. Good luck. What do you yeah, think? Yeah, what they should have said. The truth is we're going to be pro-portf- we're going to be pro-portfolio. Yeah. And what this is, just as we talk about going vertical, there's a 900-person team at Facebook manicuring Mark and Cheryl's image mm-hmm. that calls people. It's not pe- working very well. That calls people like you and says, hey, do you want to do a sit-down with Cheryl? Do you want to come to her book signing? Mm, they don't do that. Yeah. Hire the brightest, smartest people to try yeah. and put them in a, a, a likable light. And this is going vertical. This is like, fuck that. Instead of calling Kara Swisher and trying mm-hmm. to put our most likable people on stage, um, let's start creating our own content. And they are also very explicit to say we're not a news organization because they don't want to be held responsible for fact-checking or, or generally the truth. Mm-hmm. I think the problem here is that people, the people who have real influence in this environment, such as you, are going to be inclined to just roll their eyes at everything they do. Right. When they come out with, with puff they'll pieces. They'll have some good pieces. They'll have some good pieces. I'm sure. sure. And they'll have pieces that are just puff pieces on their por- – uh, they will uh, – y- you watch – 
the majority of the content they're going to be optimistic about is going to be trying to legitimize and create heat around sectors where they have companies that are funded. Yeah, I would agree. And everybody is going to throw up on it. And there'll be some very good journalists who, similar to Nick Clegg or similar to Sheryl Sandberg or similar to Dara Kostra-Shahi, have said, I have built a lifetime creating reputation and credibility. Now I'm going to go shit all over in exchange for money. I'm going to trade my credibility. I'm going to trade my journalistic credibility for money. That, that's yeah. what this is. This will, this will have a difficult time. Even when they write good things, mm-hmm. a lot of people will say uh, they're just going to have a tough time. A media is an uphill battle, much less when you come yeah, out of the gate. They want to have it both ways. They don't want to like have the, 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 the agony of it, and they just want to have the upside. Uh, Peter Kafka interviewed Margaret uh, Van Mitchers, who, who, was, who, who ran a pretty big PR firm and then was hired by Andreessen Horowitz and really focused on their communications and PR. She's a, I think she's a partner now. Um, she she explains why our company is bypassing journalists like me by talking to me. That's what Peter wrote in his thing. He has an interview with her. I know her very well. Um, and, you know, they've, they've always tried to do these, like, get-togethers. They've had think times. I've been to a couple of them where Mark interviews a big name, and they can get the big names, obviously. Suddenly, Mark is interviewing Jay-Z, and I, trust me, it was a very soft interview, or whoever it was. I don't I don't remember if it was Jay-Z. It was someone like that. Um, you know, it was, oh, it was Michael, oh, the guy who's the agent, uh, that famous agent. Anyway, it was very soft. Uh, and, and, and so whatever, it's fine. It's, it, you know, I don't know. They don't want to call it a news site. They, they want to bypass journalists. First, they tried to bash them on Clubhouse and there's idiot rooms. And Mark Andreessen acted like, a, like an 11 year old who has had, had too much sugar, um, by just being just, you know, I, I'm just here listening to this bashing. It's, it's just such, it's complete bullshit is what it is. And, and then they, they, now they can do their own thing. They've been doing this already, uh, through a couple of their writers. They, you know, Ben Horowitz writes. They've got Benedict, um, is this Evans who, whatever. Um, and so they've been, they've been playing in the space. And I think now they're just organizing it together. Um, so w- good luck. I mean, yeah, but this is, this, this is the, the premise that we mm-hmm. want to present an, an <laughs> optimistic view of technology. I know. And this is how incredibly detached and tone deaf the valley is from the world. And that is, where has the damage from tech come from? Is it because we've been, been too pessimistic about tech? Yeah. The yeah. damage that has been levied on the Commonwealth, voting, on, on uh, disenfranchised cohorts, on vulnerable people, is because we have been too optimistic about yeah. technology. The problem isn't that we're not, that we're too pessimistic and we need more people pimping the wonders of venture-backed companies and the good they're doing. We have <laughs> no shortage of that. We are choking yeah. on optimism and it is delayed and obviously and blurred our vision. So the notion that we need an optim we don't need an optimistic view. For God's sakes, everyone is masturbating to missions to Mars and photo sharing apps and all this. What we need is a more pessimistic, realistic view of technology and its limits and how it can be abused. So to me, this just starts with like, okay, you've outed yourself as you just don't fucking get it. Yeah. Yeah, it's what's really interesting about this. You are angry. Let me just say, I I have had lunch with all these people and they love to lecture. They just love to lecture. And, you know, one of the pleasures of not living in Silicon Valley is not having to have lunch with these people anymore. Honestly, I have to say, I hate to say that they, they don't give you any good information by the way, except if it's to, to write their own book and they, and they, and they, and they just pontificate at you, right? And you have to sit there and listen because you're hoping at one point they'll give you one good scoop. And one of the things, um, you know, one of the things is it's just, it's just, it's just ridiculous. I, I tweeted from the people who owning everything is not enough, but you know, I think Ben, Ben Smith has it right. You know, we were all panicked that they were doing this. I wasn't particularly panicked, uh, that they were doing this, but it's not, um, it's, I, I, we're not worried. Let us just say we are not worried. But, you know, this is, of course, what they would do. This is, this is of course, what they do because they just can't stand it uh, that someone else has less say. But honestly, I think we've had just as big an impact by saying these things. I thought Elizabeth Spears, who who is a great writer and just a great substack, um, said, pretty sure most tech journalists already have an optimistic view of technology, less so of the humans who run and fund tech companies and are apparently annoyed that the cheerleaders aren't cheering as loudly as they'd like. I think that kind of just says it. What do you think? This is 100%. It's like, well, let's uh, let's buy the newspaper and turn the newspaper. I, it just, 
they're going to have there, there's there's some good things here. First, there'll be more jobs for journalists. Yeah, uh, I think I I had some yeah. interaction or uh, with a woman who runs their podcasting group, and she struck me as a talented person. Yeah, they'll you know maybe they they probably will do some good coverage, produce some good product, but this is simply this is. This is the coal industry deciding we need to be more pro fossil fuels, and so let's <laughs> let's put out content that's more optimistic about carbon. We need carbon is carbon emissions. Kara are misunderstood, yeah. and so we need to hire oh, legitimate journalists and trade in their reputation. We'll pay them more than they would at a legitimate news organization. They will trash their reputation in exchange for money, and we'll put out interesting, well produced. They will have some good stuff. Yeah, They'll we'll put out well produced stuff. And, but the bottom line is, you watch if all of a sudden Andreessen gets very excited about disruption Something. in voice and healthcare. There's going to be a lot of articles about the. The yeah. great, brave new world of, of tech and healthcare ignoring, all right, is there anything we should be worried about? Should there be any checks and balances on this? Yeah, they have such a fucked up view of journalists. It's so weird. Just because you don't like every, you know, that you don't hug them. And I mean, sometimes I wonder how many of these people didn't get hugged as children. Oh, my God, they <laughs> call you. Do you know why famous people, a famous person called uh, me yesterday. I told you about yeah. this. Yeah. The only time famous people call me, yeah, is when you insult them. Is when I write something, and I wrote something about um, someone, a famous uh, Hollywood executive, and his short bite video platform. Uh, oh and God. he called and said, "Can I speak to you?" And to his credit, we're obviously talking about Jeffrey Katzenberg. He's, he said, Look, "I like him, though. At least he like comes to play." But go ahead, go ahead. Uh, he's impossible not to like. Yeah. A, he's extraordinarily successful. He's be- very charming, and he's obviously very he's smart. Like mad at the press. He's just like, it is well, what it is. Like, he lives in, a, in the real world. Here's the thing. He made a really good point. I had said in my blog post that they burned, of the $1.6 billion, they burned a billion and a half because they sold mm-hmm. the the content for $100 million. And the reality is they returned a half a billion because he realized that there was no product market fit, and he wanted to be responsible and return as much capital to investors as possible. <laughs> and I want to acknowledge that oftentimes young entrepreneurs, uh, then they have to be a little bit delusional, but they not only crash their company, they run it into a wall and it blows mm-hmm. up and they don't pay their payroll taxes. So he's clearly the adult in the room, but it just struck me. This guy has such extraordinary yeah. success. Yeah, and, he's still and also he's, over this one. he's doing so well now. He has a security startup that's killing it. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and no one, quite frankly, we're just sort of like, we don't even remember. Uh, these individuals, they're so successful that they're not uh, that any any mild ding in the public, they just say, "I need to, I need to update yeah. your thinking." And it, it's really interesting. I said we should have him at Code because he's working on this really yeah. interesting security startup, hmm. um, and he's doing some very interesting things. But I just want to correct the record: he returned yeah. half a billion dollars to investors, not a hundred million. Huh? Okay. Well, in any case, Jeff, I know Jeffrey is a, a yeah. I I like talking to him. I mean, at least I don't get the same like. Uh, Anger. Smart, it's a weird. Guy. Yes, he's. I, do, I don't get the same like, and I know he's wrangled with all kinds of Hollywood reporters, etc. So I don't know his. But in general, like the 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 weird, you know, they're so sore. They're sore. They're sore winners. I don't know how else to put it. A lot of people in Silicon Valley are sore winners. They should just win and shut the hell up, but they won't. They won't. But okay, fine. Make what you want to make. I'm so excited. I hope they get some good essays that are worthy of reading. But you know what? I'll take Ben Thompson any day of the week and twice on Sunday. That's what I, you know, he's fair. He does great pieces. That guy's good. A lot of the sub stack, like I would take almost any journalist over this, this on any day, but you know what? Knock yourselves out. You got lots of money. Be sore winners that you are, but um, and 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 the media just do your thing. And if they don't like it and they don't give you access, well, you'll do a better job. But access is overrated. Uh, uh, you know, as someone who has a lot of access, it's overrated, and it and it it makes you uh, it makes you a little less uh, sharp, I think. Which is, I don't mean unfair. I think fairness is important to me, um, but it's just anyway. It's interesting. We'll see what's going. We'll see how they do because money is no object. Obviously, they bought Future.com, which probably cost. As a billion dollars. Future.com. Future.com. I'm going to buy sore winners and just copy all this stuff. All these dudes should collectively, they should pass the hat and buy prostate.com. This is all just (laughs) such a giant fucking midlife cry. I'm rich. I'm blessed. I like Jeff's better. He's going to space. I'm rich. kind of cool. I'm rich. I'm blessed. And I'm still going to get angry at the few people who have the the gall to say my my shitty startup isn't worth four and a half billion dollars. Oh, that Karen Swisher. Whatever. I'm not their friend. That was the 
air. I'm not helping her move this weekend. That's it. I know. That's it. And I'm starting a podcast to talk about the great new world of photo sharing (laughs) pictures of your sneakers. Let's become VCs. I think we need to become VCs. Like, what the? You're kind of a VC a little bit, right? I invest a lot in in, in small and growing companies. I'm going to become a VC. Hard work. And I'm just, uh, what? I'm not going to become a VC. I've been offered VC positions and I'm like, I'm incompetent to the task, which apparently a lot of people. So, speaking about optimism and pessimism, you know, I'm not a good VC. I always invest in later stage companies. Yeah. You have to be an optimist to be in VC because every, I literally, every idea I hear, I hate. I'm like, that'll never work. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, what? I don't mind the optimists. I like them. Yeah. All right, Scott, we're going to go to a li- pivot listener question. We've been chit-chatting away this today. It's, we just can't get enough of each other. We're making media. Mark, take notes. We're making media, Mark Andreessen. This is how it's done. Um, okay, let's pivot to a listener question. Roll tape. You've got, you've got. I can't believe I'm going to be a mailman. You, you, you've got mail. Tēnā kōrua, Kara and Scott. My name's William Ray. I'm a journalist and podcast producer in Aotearoa, New Zealand. I have two questions for you. First, more than two years after the Christchurch terror attack, the Biden administration has signed the United States up to the Christchurch Call, which was an initiative launched by Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern to tackle radical extremist content online. Do you think the United States joining this initiative is in any way meaningful or just PR? And do you think the Christchurch terror attack and the live streaming of that attack have led to any long-term change at Facebook and other social networks in terms of blocking extremist content? Second, how do you think the rise of remote working will impact small nations like New Zealand? Anecdotally, I've heard of a US-based tech firm hiring increasing numbers of New Zealand software developers to work remotely and offering to pay more than double the going rate in New Zealand. Um, that's obviously great news for these developers, but it could be really bad for the New Zealand startup tech scene because it just doesn't have access to the deep pockets of US venture capital, which means it can't afford to pay Silicon Valley rates. Namihi nui. Thank you very much. Ah, that guy's likable. Talk about likable. I like him. I love the New Zealand accents. Uh, Chris Liddell, who ended up working for Trump, but I, I... I like a lot. Uh, worked for Microsoft, had the same kind of he thing. He should start I used to a podcast. Charmed. Charming accent in New Zealand. Yeah. Wow, there's a lot there. Let me just go from the back very quickly. I interviewed uh, Brian Chesky and Steve Case last night for uh, Steve's uh, event, Rise of the Rest. And one of the things they were talking about was hiring increasing numbers of software developers at different places um, and whether that was going to hurt the startup scene in individual spots. Uh, I thought that was, that was an interesting point. I think that's what they're going to do because Brian was talking about you know, how much he's sort of a more radical remote worker now, even though they had a beautiful headquarter and they're really pushing remote if people want to do it and letting the employees lead the way on that. So I think that is absolutely going to happen, that, that a lot of these areas that are trying to create their own ecosystems uh, locally are going to get sucked up by the Googles and Airbnbs and Facebooks of the world. So that that is, I think, absolutely true. Scott, what do you think about the other stuff? Well, on the extremist side, so the stat that came out that was really frightening was that somewhere around two-thirds of people who joined an extremist group on Facebook, that extremist group was suggested to them by the Facebook algorithm. So the notion that these the defense these platforms put forward is that there's a certain number of people who are just drawn to these groups and we can't be responsible. It's like, well, yeah, you're actually, you're actually promoting uh, extremist groups. So he asked if he thought the U.S. joining meant anything and if whether these companies had changed their activity. When, I believe when the Christchurch uh, massacre happened that primarily Facebook said, well, okay, how do we minimize this? They went into damage control mode. Uh, what I do think it does, though, is that it highlights – and what's interesting is stuff like that happens in the U.S. Mass shootings happen all the time. But when it happens in New Zealand, we get freaked out because it typically doesn't happen in countries that have a saner approach to gun laws. And I do think it has an impact because it was so horrific and tech played such a, a kind of a weird role in it that the public becomes less sympathetic to tech and wants to see more action against tech. So I think it does impact it, but it's not – we've got to get out of this notion of waiting for the better angels of these companies to show up. They don't – when the Christchurch – my guess is – and Kara, tell me if you think that my thesis is that when Christchurch happened, Facebook didn't sit down and said, wow – what was our role in this? No. And how do we rethink our approach to business? I think their first emergency meeting was how do we minimize the fallout here? How do we how do we um, uh, delay and obfuscate? How do we wallpaper over this? It wasn't how do we change our product and our platform? Yeah, I agree. I think that um, 
it was really that it doesn't matter, but it does, even if it's just signaling being in this, not being in this is a problem. Uh, being in it is not a problem. The U.S. can really uh, turbocharge this stuff by entering climate accords, these kind of things. I think the prime minister of New Zealand, Jacinda Ardern, is, um, has been amazing about this. And I think it's okay that they're part of this. It puts pressure on uh, companies like Facebook, especially when the U.S., uh, is in these things. Um, and so I think they'll continue again. Lena Khan is the answer. These are all the, you know, these kind of people putting her as chairman said a lot to me about the Biden administration, putting, uh, Tim Wu in there, uh, you know, putting, uh, uh, Ann Newberger in there. It says a lot about what their intent is, which is to push back this series of legislative moves by David Cicilline and Ken Buck, for example, and Amy Klobuchar and uh, Gra- even Grassley and, and others in the Senate is, 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 it is all signaling, but it's also movement forward. So I think it is meaningful to do these kind of things. Um, Facebook will respond to pressure. That's how they're going to, that's, that's, they don't do it because they want to do it for the good of the world or they, they, some of them do. That's not fair. Um, I think they will do it because they get pressure and they will do it badly because it's hard, by the way. Like, you know, the just information about vaccines, where it comes from, the Wuhan lab, where they right, they wrong. They have to make these decisions um, that are very difficult for them. And at the same time, they do it cloddishly. So uh, it's, 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 it's super complex, but I love seeing this happen, um, that, that, that we do this. And I think it's important for, for that. Um, and, and one of the things uh, that I would love to know, I, you know, I answered what Brian Chesky was saying that they're hiring more people. And Steve was thinking that maybe they're, you know, that would cause them to maybe not have as many cities growing because his goal is to get as many cities as possible to be tech forward, essentially, and great places to work. And with people moving, uh, they can work from anywhere. And it looks like tech companies are going to let them work from anywhere for at least the near-term future. So what do you, one of the things that, another thing they talked about was immigration laws, bringing people into this country, more people in. But do you, do you think people care if a job location isn't an issue uh, going forward? You have this belief that young people should be close to HQ. There may not be an HQ. Brian was talking about you are you you don't do this hybrid thing which is three days a week and two days off because you don't really get time off you do you come in for three weeks at a time and do intense work together and then you all go away from each other and work remotely what do you think i don't know i'm a, I'm a bit boomer on this i think there's certain industries where you're going to want people together on a regular basis and i don't mm-hmm. know if that's two days a week three days a week or one week a month but there is a certain entropy i think especially in uh, services industries where you need to be able to just kind of yell over the desk to somebody or pull people into a conference yeah. room. And yeah. and I do think young people uh, uh, want to be, or most young people, I think, want to want to be bumping off of other people. Right. And so, I, I, look, I I tell young people, get into the office. And there's it's what I call a Walmart store effect. Pankaj Jemawat, a colleague at NYU, did this great research where he found that the further a retail store gets from headquarters, the lower the ROI of that store. The most profitable yeah. Walmarts are in the Southeast. And then as you get away from the Southeast, they become less profitable. Yeah, that's fair. That's a fair. And I think the same is true of headquarters. But and, it's not going to be campuses. Just think about it. Mm-hmm. Airbnb built a, pre, a pretty series of buildings. They're now down to one building. They had three in San Francisco. Microsoft, it used to be you'd have to be on the campus um, all the time. Yeah, but I would, I would venture that if you take the 50 people who... Uh, get the most traction at Airbnb over the next five or 10 years, who get promoted the fastest, who make the most money, they'll, 90% of them will have one thing in common. They're at HQ a lot, physically. Uh, it's just that uh, there's just no getting around it. In corporate America and big companies, your career progress is a function of your talent, your grit, and more than anything, the relationships you're able to establish within that company. And relationships are, inextri- are correlated to proximity. There's no free lunch here. If you want to be live in, you know, Visalia and overlook the uh, great hills of the the California foothills or whatever it is, you trade, there's a trade-off here. And there's no free lunch uh, in terms of remote work. And I would advise every young person um, to get to HQ while they can, because when you start collecting dogs and kids, it gets harder and harder to live near work because work, you know, the... The campuses are usually or increasingly in urban areas because they know well, that's where young just, people want to be. I think we're not going to see these big campuses like the Microsoft Google oh, agreed. campus going forward. MasterCard and Purchase New York yeah. and these big yeah. corporate yeah. campuses. Not going to happen. Not yeah, going to happen. Agreed. All right. We're going to get back. I, I, this was a really great question. Thank you so much. William from New Zealand. One more quick break. We'll be back for predictions. Okay. 
Hey, Scott, prediction. Make it quick. We've been chit-chatting away today. Um, so something happened. So uh, I own some rental property. And when anyone, when a family leaves, as long as the family's there, we don't raise the rent. If they're good tenants, we like having good tenants. Um, but when they leave, we get a broker to say, all right, what's the market for this? And most recently, last year, when someone left, they said, oh, you know, it's maybe the market's up a few percent or whatever. This year, we had some people move out and the broker came back and said, you could charge 30% more. And it strikes me that inflation is on the way and this narrative, there's always a narrative to support why the market should go higher. And everyone's supposed to sign up to the narrative, whether it's the economist, CNBC, everyone says, all right, let's buy into the narrative. And the narrative goes something like this. Uh, inflation will subside because the supply chain will get worked out and there'll be more supply again and things will normalize and people will come back to work as remote schooling, people go back to school. I think the level of inflation here across everything I see is so extraordinary that uh, the narrative is just BS. And I think we're headed into an era of higher interest rates in the last half of the year and we should track this. I think the economy is going to boom. GDP is going to go way up. A lot of companies have got in fighting shape, the consumer has money, and we're going to see the markets absolutely throw up. This is going to be me like in my fraternity pledge pin and care. Throw up because of inflation. The market, it's really interesting. Right now, of course, everyone assumes that if the underlying economy is strong, the markets will be strong. But here's the wonderful thing about the markets is the markets have an uncanny ability to look around the corner and they're constantly asking itself, what's next? And so I think in the last half of the year, the underlying economy will be really strong. But I, I was going to say that now Joe's going to use my fraternity pledge pinning where I drank about two or three bottles of pink champagne and it was so much fun. And then, wow, did I start throwing up. I think in the last half of this year, the market is going to move into the latter stage of this. And it's like we've had a lot of fun. The markets accelerated last year despite right, okay. the despite right. the um, so dis money in the mattress. Money in the mattress. Yeah, well, the hard part is what it's hard to time the market. And I would argue in an era like this, if you become bullish, you just, or if you become um, bearish, you just lower your leverage and your exposure. But I think we're headed for, uh, so, anyways, my prediction is that the markets end up lower uh, by the end of the year. And we're going to have extreme volatility in Q3 and Q4 with some uh, kind of four figure drops uh, in the Dow. Everybody thinks that the underlying economy is going to power the Dow. I think that this inflation uh, and higher interest rates. Is, is not, you know, we'd like to believe that it's just episodic. I don't know, the, the price increases I'm seeing out there and one in $3, one in $3 was printed since January of 2020. I mean, there's so yeah, much, there's so much cash chasing fewer That's products they, the right now. That's what the Republicans will try to push the inflation situation for, for, for that's Biden's uh, weakness there in terms of that. But yeah. we'll see. Anyways, we'll see where it goes. Volatility, I think people are feeling good. I think people up. are out and about. People are wanting to buy. They're, yep. I mean, just walk, everywhere I've been, Washington, New York, all the cities, they're back and rocking kind of thing. But we'll see. That's a very good prediction, Scott Galloway. Um, Vegas okay, is Scott, on fire. You know, Vegas, Vegas is sold out everything. Right now. The national parks, everybody's all over the place. Let me Vegas just say. Vegas and the national parks. You never hear that in the same sense. I'm just saying, I was, there was a story in the New York Times, the national parks are like, people are waiting in line to get to see, to see things. To see big um, banner up. Yeah. Yes, I guess so. Whatever. I'm just going to go and sit in a, sit on a lawn somewhere. I'm going to Vegas. Uh, you're going to, we're going to, you and I are going to Vegas. You know, you promised me all the we're time. Going to Vegas. I'm, not, I'm done. I don't, I don't even get my hopes up anymore. <laughs> we're going to become VCs and we're going to Vegas. That's what we're going to do. And we're not we're going to invite Clubhouse to talk about the optimistic <laughs> <We> future. <laughs> all right. Don't forget that we're done, Scott, today. This is a long and exciting show, I think. It don't forget. Thank those. you for, it was one thank of you those. for being, no, it is. People will like it. We have a lot of, we made a lot of content and the people at Injuries and Horowitz are taking notes, which uh, they will listen to. They will do none of them because they have to be optimistic. Anyway, don't, and we are both optimistic and pessimist because that's what a journalist is in case they're interested. Don't forget if there's a story in the news you're curious about, want to hear your opinion on, go to nymag.com slash pivot and submit a question for the show. Scott, read us out. Today's show is produced by Rebecca Sinanis and Caroline Shagrin. Ernie Andrew Todd engineered this episode. Thanks also to Drew Burrows. Make sure you subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or if you're an Android user, check us out on Spotify or frankly, wherever you listen to podcasts. If you liked our show, please recommend it to a friend. Thanks for listening to Pivot from Vox Media. We'll be back next week for another breakdown of all things tech and business. What's worse than being at a water park? Moving. What you need is a big, burly, Bane-like character with a badass tattoo. Got one of those. Bring in the giant and boom, moved in an hour. Moved in an hour. <laughs>